turn to John chapter 17. John 17. We're going to consider Christian joy in a hostile world. And our verses for consideration this morning are verses 13 through to 16. Let's just read them now. Jesus said, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world have hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil, or the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Last time we looked at the great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, we saw in verse 11 that Jesus prayed to his Father for unity amongst the apostles and by extension, unity in the church, his church. As Jesus said in verse 11, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. We also consider that the only way that there can be true unity within the church, a unity that imitates the unity of father and son no less, is if it is in agreement with the word of God, the Bible. It can't be a unity that agrees with a bunch of man-made rules. It wouldn't work. Looking at it negatively, there can be no unity, there can be no fellowship, there can be no communion with People who call themselves Christians and yet they do not hold to fundamental Christian doctrines such as the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. We obviously cannot have that communion with them and that oneness with them. There is no unity with them. Today we shall first of all consider Christian joy. Look again at verse 13. Jesus prayed to his father, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The first thing to appreciate is that like unity, Christian joy is a grace of God. That ought to be obvious when you look at verse 13. Jesus spoke of his joy being fulfilled in his apostles. But the emphasis is it is joy. Jesus had already given his peace to them. We see that to be the case in uh, John chapter 14, verse 27, where he said to them, Peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Such a peace is the experience of all Christians Even now, 
the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a peace that passes all understanding and that is because it is a peace that comes from God. Likewise, the joy that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 17 verse 13 is not something that you or I are able to muster up within ourselves. It comes from above. It is the joy of the Lord. And the fact that the joy that the apostles of old received and that all of the redeemed of the Lord received is fulfilled. Look again at verse 13 there. It's fulfilled in them. What does that mean? Now I come to thee and these things I speak in the world that my that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. By that, what is meant is that the joy that fills them, it fills them to the brim. To overflowing. It comes from above. It is the joy of the Lord that fills them to overflowing. As David said in Psalm 23 verse 5. My cup runneth over. Or my cup overflows. When Jesus gives his joy. It's not a little bit of joy. A bit of joy that fills your big, your little toe or something. You are filled to overflowing with the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least you should be. You really ought to be. Because this is what the word of God is telling us. The Apostle Paul and his travelling companion Silas were able to sing praises to God at a time when they were secured in the stocks in the inner prison in, uh, uh, in Philippi. Clearly they were filled with the joy of the Lord despite their miserable plight. How often we can look so glum and miserable and uh, yet we need to be challenged by the saints in, in the Bible, what they went through and still they rejoiced. It makes perfect sense when you consider that Christian joy is a grace of God and it is not dependent upon our circumstances. And that is why the Apostle Paul was able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He meant it. It wasn't the speech of exaggeration or anything. I'm sure he meant what he said. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often do I see Christians who rejoice in the Lord and then there's some calamity in their life and you don't see them. They take time out. I'm not criticising them, but I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. If anything, when there's difficult stuff going on in your life, you need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. To have that unity and, and to, to be encouraged. Dear Christian, the joy that the Son of God gives you is referred to in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 as fruit of the Spirit. It's the same word. The joy that you see in John chapter 8, uh, 17 verse 13 is the same 
Greek word that you find in Hebrews chapter 5. Fruit of the Spirit, joy. Along with love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith and meekness and temperance or self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit, including joy. And furthermore, when you consider that the fruit of the Spirit, including the joy and everything else, is a description of Jesus ultimately, then really that should encourage you to pray that you would bring forth that fruit in abundance. Because surely it's every Christian's uh, desire to be more like Jesus. And uh, that will happen when you, as you, you're bringing forth more fruit. You're in a sense bringing forth more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is all of those things that we read of in the fruit of the Spirit. Pray for that joy. I pray for more fruit in my life. And I know, all well, I'm lacking in all of them. No doubt about it. But I know the ones that I'm particularly lacking in. And I pray that I would bring forth more of that fruit. More joy. More self-control. Whatever. A sure way for a Christian not to experience the joy of the Lord is sin. In Psalm 32, King David started off by writing about the blessings of sin forgiven. We, we saw that just a few minutes ago, looking at Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. He went on to admit that when he kept silent about his sin, his bones waxed old through his roaring all day long. In other words, sin it impacted on his whole being. Not just upon his soul, but upon his body. And again, you've probably been there. I certainly have when there's been sin in my life. I can't just say, oh dear, this sin, it's affecting my spirit. It affects me in every way. And that's what sin does. As you feel the hand of God upon you, day and night, your bones wax old through your roaring and your moisture is turned into the drought of summer when you're caught up in sin. Unconfessed sin impacts on your whole being. But when finally David confessed his sin, we're told in verse 32 that the Lord forgave the iniquity of his sin. We have a God who forgives the psalm ends with an exhortation from David to be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Upright in heart. This is the man whose bones waxed old through his roaring all day long. But we have a God whose grace is abundantly greater than our sin. Dear Christian, there, there can be no communion with God and no joy when there is ongoing sin in your life. Like King David, David of old, you would need to come to the throne of God's grace, confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to bring you back into that joyous communion that you had with him. 
As for all of you who are not trusting in Jesus, no doubt you do experience joy. No doubt there are times when you who have no interest in the Saviour's blood, you experience intense joy. I don't say that you don't. But what kind of a joy is it? When you analyse it, your joy has no depth to it. It's like a puff of smoke or a vapour. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's all it can ever be. Not worth having. The joy that is spoken of in verse 13 begins when a sinner first believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of his or her sins. Let me give you an example from the scriptures, a lovely example. Acts chapter 8, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship and then as he was making his way back, presumably to Ethiopia, the evangelist Philip met with him in the middle of nowhere. It didn't just happen. God arranged it that way. The Holy Spirit led Philip the Evangelist to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip joined the eunuch in his chariot and he expounded the scriptures to him. Isaiah 53, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch believed he was wonderfully saved that day. And we're told in Acts chapter 8 verse 39 it is that the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now that man had rejoiced before that time, again no doubt about it, but when he went away rejoicing, having heard the good news of Jesus, having believed and he was baptised there in the middle of nowhere, He went away rejoicing with a joy that I'm sure he never ever experienced before in his life because it was the joy of the Lord. It was a supernatural joy. It was from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can clearly remember even now, well well, I'll never forget it, the pure joy of the Lord Jesus Christ that filled my heart when I first received assurance that I belonged to Jesus. I'm not saying that pure joy that when, when I was saved, but I, when I absolutely knew that my sins were forgiven, that I belonged to Jesus. And that night I went home from church, barely able to drive. All I wanted to do was stick my head out the car window and let everybody in the world know that I belonged to Jesus. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But boy, was I rejoicing. I really was. And that should be all of you in a sense, to varying degrees. And that joy should be with you, should abide with you forevermore. Because you belong to Jesus. And he has given you his joy. It's a wonderful joy. Let's have a look at verse 14 in John chapter 17. I have given them... Thy word. And the world have hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. When you consider the very first part of verse 14 there, I have given them thy word. Well, put it this way. If Jesus had not given his apostles his word or the word of God and laid the gospel truth upon their hearts and their minds, 
then they wouldn't have had that joy that's spoken of in verse 13. You really can put the two together. They're connected. I have given them my word, that truth. Hence the joy that we read of in verse 13. Dear Christian, even though you are living in a hostile world, you rejoice. And why is that? It is because the Lord Jesus Christ has given you the word of God, which is living and which is active. You are born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And that is something to rejoice about, no matter what. The word of God has been given to you and ultimately Jesus, who is the incarnate word of God, he has been revealed to you and in you. And he is enthroned by faith in your heart. If ever there was a reason to rejoice, that must surely be it. In verse 14, Jesus also said, and the world have hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus never was of the world, and that is because he is the sinless son of God. It's as simple as that. When in the fullness of time God sent his son into the world to save sinners, what happened when he came into the world? He was despised, he was rejected by men, men hid their faces from him, When he came unto his own, the Jews, they received him not. The reason for that enmity, that hatred towards Jesus, is because he came as light into the darkness. And wicked men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Just a few days ago, I was sitting down watching television uh, with my wife Pauline and it was one of those lovely days where the sun was shining through the living room window but it was hitting the TV screen and what happened was it exposed all the dust, a layer of dust on the TV screen and straight away Pauline, my wife, she saw the connection there and she said that's like Jesus the light of the world, exposing our sin. Just as the sun exposed all the dust on the television, Jesus exposes our sin, each one of us. That's why people don't like um, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he exposes their sin. And as Jesus said, the world hates me. And people continue to hate Jesus because he exposes their sin unless by the grace of God they have repented and they have received Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Then they don't hate him anymore. They love him and they they know that he loves them and that he laid down his life for them at the cross as as he bare away their sins. Such people are born again. They are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. They have new priorities and their chief desire is or ought to be to glorify God in life and in death. 
They have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Again, this doesn't mean to say that they walk around with halos above their heads. But they have that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They, they, they lament the fact that wicked people meet up once a year on Timwald Hill. Uh, as they, re- as they Im- rejoice these, over these wicked laws that they've enacted. And again, uh, I've, I've said this all before, but um, very soon after I became a Christian, I lost my closest friend. He wanted to meet me. for. We went for a meal in a Chinese restaurant and very quickly he began to interrogate me about my new faith. And it came round to abortion. That's a long time ago. I'm, I'm actively involved in pro-life work now, but even then, 25 years ago or more, I was someone who really didn't care about abortion either way, if I'm being honest with you. It's not something that concerned me. Didn't matter to me. But when I became a Christian, I could see how evil abortion is, how thoroughly evil it is. I can't think of a greater evil when it comes to man's inhumanity against his neighbour. I can't think of anything that compares with it. And my ex-friend, he took me to task over this. He was really angry with me for opposing abortion. That was really the end of our friendship. But what do I do? I rejoice and I'm exceeding glad to be counted worthy to suffer for, the, for Christ's name. Rejoice and be exceeding glad when the world hates you. As long as, for the, as long as it's for the right reasons. But don't go around looking for friends in this world. That's not what it's about. This world is no longer your home if you're a Christian. You have become a stranger and a pilgrim and you're on a journey that will take you to your heavenly rest. Your treasures are stored up in heaven and what is your greatest treasure? By far, the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and who gave himself for you. Everything else Take second place at best. You're someone who is hated by the world because as Jesus said, you are not of the world. Just as the apostles were not of the world, you are not of the world. Sure, you still sin, but you abhor your sin. That's the difference. You hate your sin now. You hate the fact that you have sinned against the great God who sent his son into the world to bear your sins upon the cross. You lament and you say, wretched, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I thank God for Jesus. You pray for forgiveness. And you pray for a greater conformity to your sinless saviour, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a conformity to this world, but to Jesus. Let's have a look at verses 15 and 16. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. All the enmity, all the hostility, all the hatred of the world against Jesus and his apostles and beyond that, against all who the Father has given him is from the evil that permeates throughout this entire world. Can you actually see it? That this world is thick with evil. The evil spoken of in verse 15 there is the evil one or the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it is written, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Can you imagine that? The devil walking around this world like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is what the Bible is telling us. It's to be believed. If there was a lion at large here in Peel, what would people do? They'd proceed with extreme caution or else they'd stay at home until the lion had been captured. But when it comes to the devil, no one bats an eyelid. And yet the devil is far more dangerous than the king of the jungle. But people don't seem to think about it and most people write him off, don't they? The, the um, parachute regiment display team is called the Red Devils, a cartoon figure. Manchester United Football Club, nicknamed the Red Devils, with a pitchfork in his hand. Then you've got preachers and Christians who don't even believe in the reality of the devil, but he's here. In this world, walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But of course, he can't be everywhere. He's not God. He can only be one place at once. But he has an army of demons spread out across the world, wreaking havoc in our communities. You'd have to be asleep if you didn't see it. Even this little island with the various problems it's got going on here. Babies being butchered before they're born, a drugs problem, whatever else is going on. Furthermore, not just demons, but people who do not know God as their Heavenly Father, who do not know Jesus as their Saviour from sin, they do the evil desires of their father, the devil, as well. Not just some of them, but all of them. And as has has already been acknowledged, Christians also have a daily battle against sin, don't we, dear Christian? Therefore, not only do the redeemed of the Lord need divine protection from the evil one, his demons, 
and a Christ-hating world, they need protection from themselves. No wonder Jesus asked his father to keep Christians from the evil during their earthly pilgrimage, as we see in these verses. And God will keep you, he will preserve you, and you will, by the grace of God, reach your heavenly rest because you belong to Jesus and for no other reason. Finally, if you are a Christian, then thank God that he has delivered you from the devil's dark domain, that he has brought you into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, you are not in heaven yet. You're still in this evil world, stating the obvious there. God has saved you to serve him, to glorify him as lights in this dark world. And as you know from experience, you do still face those temptations from sin. And you are a prime target for the evil one, the devil. Any attack on you from the evil one is an attack against the church and it is an attack against the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, rejoice. Rejoice in the knowledge that at the cross, Jesus delivered a death blow to the evil one. No longer can he accuse you before God. Jesus has justified you. And now you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as your great heavenly high priest prays to his father and your father to keep you from the evil, do likewise. Copy Jesus. Pray to God that he would keep you from the evil. Jesus has taught you to do that. Has he not? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I don't know about you, but I pray that just about every day of the week. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Immerse yourself in the word that Jesus has given you. Study the Bible. Arm yourself with it so that when temptation comes, along with error and lies, when the evil one tries to beguile you, to deceive you, when your own wicked heart tries to deceive you and to justify your sin, you can and you must respond decisively with the word of God, the word that he has given you. Most of all, keep looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher and the perfecter of your most holy Christian faith. Amen.